You're listening to Artistic Finance, show 72. On today's show, I interview actor and filmmaker Micah Stinson. He walks us through his journey from the Midwest to New York City acting school to traveling the country and planning his move to the Czech Republic to pursue acting and filmmaking. Without further ado, let's get to the show. You're listening to Artistic Finance Podcast, where your host, Ethan Steimel, interviews successful artists, leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire artists to grow their wealth. Welcome, and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Ethan Steimel. We're recording this October 10th, 2021. The COVID-19 vaccine has been administered to 55-plus percent of the U.S. population, Afghanistan has been under Taliban rule since August, and the U.S. is holding its first talks with them this weekend. And on Broadway, 24 of 41 theaters have reopened shows. Today, Chicken and Biscuits opens. Tomorrow, Is This a Room opens. That is a bit of what's going on in the world. And today, our guest is actor and filmmaker Micah Stinson. First things first, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Uh, So I originally, I lived in New York for 10 years. I just moved away recently, uh, grew up, I guess, was born and raised in the Midwest, you could say Oklahoma, really Indian territory. There's a lot of, it's not really Midwest. Um, New York was the first place that I felt like was home. So New York has my heart. 2019, I just felt toward the end of the year, I felt like it was time to move. But I love New York. That's where I went to school. I went to school at the Lee Strasberg Theater and Film School, learned acting there. I didn't so much learn acting as I was it's like somebody took me behind the curtain at a theater and showed me where all the pulleys and ropes were. And I was like, oh, that's what I've been doing. And now I can repeat it like consistently. And I like, I know what I'm doing because I'd always, I'd always dabbled in, in that stuff before. Uh, but I was kind of running around blind and now I knew where all the ropes and pulleys were and I could make it kind of work. And um, met my wife in New York. We have our first kid, possibly our only kid. <laughs> <laughs> Um, he's six months old. He's already trying to walk. Uh, doesn't really want to be crawling anymore. So that's a bit about me to current, uh, looking to move to, uh, Europe in April, uh, to do some stuff over there. And I've got a couple, one project lined up, maybe two. So amazing. Okay. Six months out two two projects maybe lined up. That's pretty good. Uh, just a couple more questions, which is like, Okay, so I guess where were you, where were you born? I like you Oklahoma mostly. Is that where you were born? Yeah, so I was born in Oklahoma. Actually, my grandfather, my mom's dad, delivered me. He was a small town doctor uh, in Stillwell, Oklahoma. He was in the Merchant Marines when he was younger. Then he became a doctor, and then he flew in the Air Force during the Second World War. And then he settled down in, in a small town, Stillwell, Oklahoma. He was actually deputized by the sheriff and would go and do like forensic medical stuff for them and. You know, people would trade him apples for services. This was back before the insurance companies got involved in medical care. So I was his next to last delivery. The sister that's right under me was his last. So he delivered me in Stillwell, Oklahoma, actually. We moved to Arkansas for a short time, but back to Oklahoma. So I spent most of my time until I was like 25 in Oklahoma. So then when you came to New York, did you come and straight go straight to Lee Strasberg Acting School? <laughs> I did not. <laughs> Almost nothing in my life is a direct line. So I had always been interested in theater, had never really known how to get involved in it. And I 
was just working a job in Tulsa, like as a receptionist at this disaster mitigation company, just went to have a beer with one of my friends and was showing her like some writing that I'd done. I'd, I'd done some poetry and stuff like that. And she was like, this is really good. I know this friend of mine who I also kind of knew vaguely, they're doing a play. You should call them. They need guys. I said, okay, well, I'm going to do this. So I went and I was so nervous actually for the audition that I, I stopped at a gas station and I, I chugged two beers really quickly before I went in there uh, <laughs> to like steady my nerves. Um, anyway, I got the lead role. I mean, it's regional, so it's like Tulsa, but it, um, it was Footloose. So they taught me how to dance. Yeah, not really dance. <laughs> I sort of moved gracefully and everybody danced around me, Yeah, but I could sing. That's why they picked me, I think. Then I wound up doing four more productions within a calendar year there. And then I met a girl who was going to school in New York. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to move to New York. We'll be together. And that's kind of how I got to New York. And then I was in New York for probably four years before I went to acting school. She was going to NYU Tisch. So I would kind of do little film projects with some of her classmates and student film stuff. And there came a point when I was like, okay, I want some formal, like, I want to be able to say I went to this school. But I was just sort of dabbling with it before that and, you know, trying to make ends meet. And I was working at a rock climbing gym. Oh, you were doing rock climbing. I got a job at Brooklyn Boulders, and then I eventually worked my way up and became their controller, their financial controller. Wait, I, what is a financial comptroller? Controller? So if you, so interestingly enough, if you look up the job, they'll they'll spell it both ways. Okay. <laughs> and I never figured out what's the difference. Because comp is what I think. Yes, yeah. but then they'll also spell it controller, and it's basically the same job description. So is that like the head accountant? Yeah. So we had an we had an out of an out of house guy that would sort of look at everything every quarter and sign off on it. Um, and he had his official certification, accountant certification, I forget what that's called. CPA. CPA. So he was the CPA. I did everything except that I would hand it off to him and he would sign off on it. But I was doing everything. I was doing payroll. I was doing, and eventually when I left, we had four locations, maybe five. We had one in Chicago, one in Somerville, Massachusetts, three in, in Brooklyn. By then I had gotten into the acting and I just wanted to go into that. So I I let them hire somebody else and it was like a mutual parting of ways. But I think I, I finally got to acting school when I was around 30. Wait, and I'm just so you spent like, let's say, two full years doing the comptroller piece. Uh, I would say I was working the full time I was there for like three years, three and a half years. But did you start as like a rock climbing teacher? So I did. So I was just rock climbing in there. And I I came to New York working at Starbucks because I wanted something I could transfer. I wanted to at least have some cash. So I started working in Tulsa and I knew they, they do transfers very easily, store transfers. I made myself really valuable at my Tulsa store, made them really like me. They wanted to promote me to manager. And then I was like, oh, I'm moving. And anyway, I got a nice transfer. Everybody loved me. At some point in New York, it was just a different experience working at Starbucks there. And I was like, I can't take this. So I quit. <laughs> I can imagine it's a different experience. I actually took two weeks vacation. And then I called while I was on, like right when I went on vacation. And I was like, this is my two weeks notice. So I'm not coming back. <laughs> oh my gosh. Is it, wait, is this paid vacation or like you just took two weeks off? It was paid. Yeah, yeah, it was paid. Micah Stinson, that is, <laughs> that is like the ideal two weeks notice situation. Yeah. So then I was like, well, I have to find something to do. I was kind of angsty about it. My friend at the time was like, oh, come on, come climbing with me. And I was like, what is this climbing business? And he was like, no, no, come on, let's try it. So we rode our bikes down there and the manager of the gym happened to be climbing the girl I was with at the time was like, hey, Mike, needs a job. And I was like, oh, my God, like, please don't. He was like, oh, I, I need a secretary, like an assistant. And I was like, great. He hired me at $14 an hour, 20 hours a week. 
three years later, I was running all the financial stuff. Wow. Okay, so moral of the story is you're pretty good with numbers then. In my So I got my college degree. I took all my electives in math because it was easy for me. I could basically just read the book and take the test. I don't know why. That just makes sense to me. I'm so jealous of you. I don't know. As, as a kid, for some reason, and science, not so much. I didn't get into that. But for some reason, like, and I got into writing later. But when I was starting learning stuff, like writing was so vague to me. I don't know the difference between writing well and writing not well. But I know that these numbers behave the same every time I do them. So I'm going to lean into that <laughs> because it's consistent. Okay. And I, I just want to point out that you're good with numbers because we actually met working on a show at Lee Strasberg. You paid me a paycheck for lighting it. And I think you were the, let's say, comptroller of that production. You worked the budget. Yeah. This is all interesting. So education-wise... Did you go to college in Oklahoma? So I have a business degree from Thomas Thomas Edison State College. Uh, it's a bachelor's, and they're a regionally accredited school, which is the highest. It's not Ivy League, but it's the highest you can get before that. And I did all of that from Oklahoma. It was distance learning. I would take the courses online, and then I would drive to OSU, and OSU would proctor the tests, and then they would send my results back to Thomas Edison. And because it's business business administration, you can take all that online. You don't need a lab or anything. And I didn't know what I wanted to do at the time. And I thought I should just bang out a, a degree. Is that, is that a four-year degree or is that like a two-year degree? Yeah, it's it's a four-year degree. Yeah. Wow. And did you do it remotely through Thomas Edison? Is Thomas Edison in Jersey? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was like, Thomas Edison, Oklahoma. I was trying to put the <laughs> strings together. The interesting thing is I, I had no clue that I would ever move to New York or be in that area. It was just like, it was a university that did this distance learning and they were highly accredited for that. And I was like, so that's who I'm going to go with. And I actually didn't pay for any textbooks because I used interlibrary loan and I organized when I would be working on which classes. And then I had them sent to me. All my textbooks were free because I, I traded them out that way. Did you do that straight out of your high school for four years? And were you doing it remotely because you were from a small town? I didn't do it straight out of high school. Uh, straight out of high school, I wanted to make money. So I went and worked as uh, for Pepsi uh, as a, um, like a retailer. My uncle had, had a pretty high job there and, and I was tired of sitting at a desk. So I, I went and worked for like, I, get, I would say like two years maybe and saved up some money. And then I went and lived off of that money. I actually went to live with my grandparents. So I would be kind of alone. They had a room for me. But I lived off of that money, bought what I needed, you know, the time I was in working on my degree. And I just picked it. I picked it because it was inexpensive, because they did the distance learning, the full degree. Um, they were highly accredited. And I I didn't want to pay $100,000 or whatever for, for a business degree. You know, it was just sort of something to help pad my resume. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do. <laughs> I remember that time I went to business school just to pad my resume. <laughs> I thought, I'll take four years just to pad it up a little bit. <laughs> Business school. All right. So you get to New York, which you didn't even come to New York to be an actor. You followed someone else who was being an actor. She was actually, so she was doing like, not actor. She was wanted to do film. She's actually working in um, LA now. She, she's um, like an independent film producer. She started as a grip. So she's kind of worked her way up. Um, but she went to like film, like behind the camera school. I, I did go to be an actor, but I couldn't afford film school uh, <laughs> for until later, later. So I just volunteered for projects with our classmates, kind of went on these little auditions, got these student films, did stuff like that. I felt like I was not, if I didn't go to acting school, then 
I couldn't really audition for anything big or really do anything beyond student films. I just, that was a belief that I kind of held, which is false. False, completely false to anyone. Anybody listening, you can do anything you want at any point in your life. So just go do it. Okay, good. Yeah, and I would never counsel somebody now looking back to think that way. But at the time, I was like, oh, I should just, you know, I can do these student films and these short films, but I need to wait until I've got some classes before it. I felt bad even applying because they would like, but what school did you attend? And I, there was like a weird, like, uh, sorry. Whereas I, you know, I realize now that can actually be a plus. You can be like, Hey, don't have any school. Teach me. I'm a new face, but I just had nobody mentoring me that way at the time. So I was wanted to talk about this later, which is why do people choose a school like Lee Strasberg theater and film Institute? They just do the acting, right? They're not doing the math, the science, and the way. So it's it's not like a degree degree. Like they may partner with a university to get you the degree, but why do people choose to do that specialized acting school versus going to college or university? Well, I mean, for me, I already had a business degree. Uh, I didn't need the extra stuff. I can see why some people would want the full school. Or if you've got the money and you want to go to NYU Tisch, like, you're going to rub shoulders with some people that are probably, you know, like there's the social aspect. If you can get into a prestigious school, I knew I wanted to take an approach to the character that was based psychologically. I even, I even for a time thought about being a psychiatrist uh, when I was very young because I was just very into people and curious. So I knew I wanted to do that. And then I basically Strasbourg was like the first guy to bring that over to the US and everybody else was kind of with him or whatever and split off. And so I was like, well, let me do this one. And then I went for an entrance interview to see if it would be interesting. And she said, well, this is exactly what you're looking for. Like you start at the psychological level, understand the character there, and then you build your performance on top of that. And so I was like, okay, this is a perfect fit for me. I was I was just looking for the the craft of acting. They do a very good job with that. Right, right. Okay. And how long is their program? If you do the full two-year program, it's basically six periods. So you can do it in faster than two years, I think, if you take like summer program and things like that. But it's basically six three-month sections, I think. Uh, so uh, most of the people who do that are either... Uh, so like NYU and some of the local universities will farm out they're acting to different schools. So like if you go to NYU, you can, for your acting piece, you can either go to Lee Strasberg or you can go to Stella Adler or like there's like, let's say five or six things you can pick from. And and Lee Strasberg does that for them. And so if you're with NYU, of course, you're taking two years. You're doing the full two years. And then Lee Strasberg has a, a giant visa program that they do. So if you're not from the US and you come in, you need to do the two years to get your O-1 visa uh, as like a prerequisite. Uh, but for me, I didn't really want all that extra stuff. My first semester, I came and took the acting, which is like basically two two different classes with two different instructors. And then I took a couple things like auditioning monologues and things that I thought I would need help with. And then I took a second and third semester, just the acting, just to keep myself uh, because I had the money then, I was making good money, and I just wanted to keep myself fresh. Okay, so then, and that, that was also going to be a question, which is, you were able to work the whole time while going to school. <laughs> so you were you didn't need to take out loans, etc. No, so early early on when I was working at this job, Brooklyn Boulders, the top brass there, like two managers and a couple owners, and because I was the the manager's assistant, I was part of their book club. And the first book that they read was the Four Hour Work Week. Whoa! And we were all that was when it first came out. Yeah. And nobody knew Tim Ferriss, and this was like his first book. 
So we were reading it and it talked about the work from home and it, it literally gave you like the formula of how to ask your boss to like let you first go on a vacation and then after you come back, maybe you just can stay at home working. We were like a couple of weeks into this reading it all together. And I had at the same time, I had gotten this idea that I, I'd never learned a second language and I wanted to learn a second language. And I was like, well, I can't like I'm not going to start with like an, an Asian language that's too or like something with Cyrillic like that's too far so let me do some like one of the romantic languages. So I was like, I looked at Spanish, Italian and French and, and people told me French was the hardest. So I said, OK, well, I have to do French. I wanted to go somewhere in France and spend three months and like really learn French. So I booked uh, I think this was like in July. I booked an airline ticket for January and I picked I didn't know anything about France, but I picked Marseille because it was on the beach. I booked an Airbnb for three months. And then I went to my boss and I was like, hey, man, so I booked this trip. Uh, you can fire me if you want. Like, I understand if you have to fire me, but I think I can do my work from there. And if it doesn't work out, you can always fire me. You know, it's whatever. It's up to you. But I think I can do my work from there. And because we had just read this book, I think he was kind of inclined to, like, have to let me do it. And then while I was there, my ma manager got fired and they kind of gave me his job and and. <laughs> The owners didn't even know that I were, was in France until uh, this happened. And they were emailed me and they were like, oh, so I guess you're in France. Keep doing what you're doing. And also, can you do this stuff? And then when I came back, they just never, I just got to stay. So I worked from home for like two and a half years. So it really, by the time I went to acting school, it was like, it was easy. By then you ha I had the job down. So, you know, I wasn't spending 40 hours a week on it. So yeah, my only gripe with the four hour work week is as a lighting designer, you have to go to the theater. <laughs> How do I ask my boss to work not in the theater when that does not compute? <laughs> yeah, if you're doing like something artistic or whatever, you know, obviously. I think it was more meant to kind of liberate people from these more kind of mundane office jobs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So let's go. You, you're in New York. You went to Lee Strasberg. How long did you stay in New York? And then this 2019 when you decided to leave the city, what motivated you to, you to do that and where you went and what you did and then... I took, so I did two semesters at Lee Strasberg, met a bunch of people. And interestingly enough, one of the classes that I took my first semester when I was taking all those extra classes, I took a screenwriting class because I'd always kind of dabbled in writing, but screenwriting, it's like different. And the writing that I'd been good at is sort of like stream of consciousness. And once I started trying to do the screenwriting, all this like formatting and stuff was making it almost, I, I just couldn't. So I was like, I'm going to take a screenwriting class and see what the hell, what, you know, if I can make this work. As I was coming every week, I was noticing that there was this guy in there that like every week he had like 20 pages ready, like fresh pages. And everybody else would be like, oh, it was a hard week. Or like there was some excuse, like always some excuse. But this guy was coming with like 20 pages every week. And so I, I felt like I was kind of competitive and I, I was like, OK, I'm at least coming with like five or six every week. But he was he was coming with like 20 pages and he was working on like a feature that he wanted to do. I guess it was easier to turn out pages because he already had the main full outline. So he was just adding to it every week. And he was always casting me as one of his, it was like a uh, one of these uh, like film noir kind of detective stories that he was writing. And he was always casting me as like the, the detective guy. And so then I would cast him in my stuff. I met him after class one day and I was like, hey, like I really like, I'm impressed by what you're doing. We're gonna be best friends. Like I just, I can tell that we're gonna be best friends. That was Alexis Chevalier. The, the writer of the show that we worked on together. Yeah, so I did two semesters and then I kind of took a break, kind of figuring out if I wanted to go back or what's this auditioning thing and I can't quite figure it out. 
And then I got a call from him saying, hey, we're doing this play at school. Uh, we want you to audition for this like side character. Like put myself together and I went and auditioned and got the part. And I think initially when I, did, I auditioned, the, the character was like, had like one scene, two or three lines. By the time the play went up, he was kind of this like antagonist, one of the main antagonists actually of the main character. We did it at school and then we took a little break and then we did it off Broadway. And I think that was almost a year span all of that stuff. Okay, this is amazing. I just went to my website, ethansteinmall.com to find photos of you yeah. in the off-Broadway version. There's a picture of you at a desk with a microphone. You know, I lost like 15 pounds for that because I, he starts off at 17, the character. And so I wanted to get like really skinny and like kind of gaunt. And so I lost a ton of weight for that. That is ridiculous. The second version or the first version? So the first version, I lost a little weight. The second version, I was like, oh, this is off-Broadway. Oh, man. Like, we're, this is going to be the next big thing. Like, I have to Christian Bale this, you know, I have to like, I ran an hour every five days a week for three months Whoa. and just like ate protein for a play. I'm amazed by that. So I, I had a great experience on that show because we did it at Lee Strasberg. I was lighting shows at Lee Strasberg at the time because I had done it there when it moved off Broadway. You guys said, oh, come do it again. That's right. But I, I love that. And I loved working with all those people. And then after that show, I thought, well, this is great. All these people are going to collaborate again. Yeah. And that was like six years ago now. <laughs> as far as far as I know, nobody has worked, to, or at least no one has worked with me again. <laughs> it was kind of like you go through these like ebbs and flows. And it was like kind of a, I don't want to say a high moment, but like an, a, a moment of intensity. And then after that was like the exhalation. I think people kind of just did their own things. I actually wound up making three short films with Alexis uh, the following year. Nothing on the scale of like the, the off-Broadway thing was something else. That was a lot of fun. Um, okay, so after that, what did you do for work? And then when did you leave New York and why? I guess for probably about a year after I quit working at, at the climbing gym, I was able to piece together some income. And uh, I've always been resourceful. So I, I was piecing it together here and there and I started, as I said, I started making these short films. Um, so actually the first one that we did, I, interestingly enough, I found through a friend, I found this guy, a Japanese guy who was a cinematographer like on the side, but he actually worked for an art gallery and he did all of their stuff. So his money was, his money was set and he just wanted to like shoot stuff on the side, didn't want to be paid, just wanted to do it for like the artistic merit and for the fun of it. And he did all the editing on it. And when I met him, he was just doing like these little artistic pieces. So he would take an actor, he would take them on a walk somewhere, tell them different emotions to display. And it would be like 15 or 30 minutes. And then he would go edit it with some music and put it together. And I was like, man, that would be great because I didn't have it a reel or anything. And I was like, it, it would just kind of be like an intro something so people could see me. And it, it was really high quality. He was shooting on a black magic, um, which at the time was like, it just looked really good. So I, I went and did that project with him. Again, like super nervous, but I did it anyway. It turned out really well. He liked working with me. And so then I said, hey, I have, I've written like a couple of feature films. The projects themselves need a lot of work, but there's some good scenes in there. If you're interested, I could get some actor friends and we could go shoot these scenes and like have fun. And he was like, yeah. So we, we shot a couple scenes. And then the, the New York Asian American Film Festival was happening. And somebody told me about it. It's like a short film festival. Basically, it's like all these contests. It's like a 72-hour thing where they give you a like a cue, and then you have 72 hours to write, shoot, and produce a film. It has to be under five minutes, all this stuff. And I had already done one of these projects with some people, and it had been a complete flop, and I'd spent a ton of money on it. 
So I was like, okay, I'm going to take a crack at this. Like I know how not to do it. So let's, let's do it. And I have this cinematographer that we work well together. So we did this film. It's called, this is not the truth. And actually we cast uh, Chang in it. He was the lead actor. Oh my goodness. Chang Lui, which by the way, wrote the theme music for this show. So anytime you hear the intro and outro, that's Chang's music. Yeah, and he also did all of our music for the play, which is the where I'm tying that back into. He did the the um, soundscape, some chime soundscape. Yeah. That's it, soundscape. So we we kind of kept working with whoever we could, doing what we could. But you know, theater is so expensive unless you have a some kind of budget. So uh, we did that film. They were showing it at some theater on First Avenue and the East Village. So there, a couple girls who are also going to Lee Strasberg saw it and really loved it, and they uh, came to us during the awards ceremony at some bar. They were like, that was really looked great, and it it visually looked better than anything else they showed. Like, it won a couple of awards. You know, it didn't sweep everything, but it when it came on the big screen, it was just like, it looked really good. Because this guy was really good. It wasn't, you know, he was a great cinematographer, and most of that's because of him. They were like, we want to, we have this house in the Hamptons, like next weekend, we want to shoot a film there. I'm like, my family's coming, but we have it for a couple days before they get there. We want to shoot this film. We have a script. The first thing I thought was like, oh my gosh, like this is drama. I don't want to work with other, like these girls. And then it's going to be like girls. And, but I was like, whatever. I said, okay, fine. So let's meet at this coffee shop tomorrow and give me your script and we'll talk about it. We wound up doing it. So the two girls, one of them is now my wife, <laughs> Teresa. She was one of the girls. Amazing. We actually have our first kiss yeah. on screen in that film. That's awesome. And so <laughs> we did that film. We did one other short film. And then we decided we wanted to get married. We started going through like the green card process because of how these people need to check boxes and stuff. I was like, I'm going to have to get a real job for a couple of years. They're going to want to see like tax returns that have a certain amount of income. They're going to like... It's like getting a loan. It's not that I wasn't making the money, but you have to like... Make it the right way. Right. The one thing I'd never done in New York that I always thought was an experience that I wanted to have was driving a taxi. So I didn't drive a taxi, but I went to work for Uber and Lyft uh, for two years. And eventually someday I'm going to make a film about that because that was wild. But I did that for two years and I just saw some stuff when I was driving. There was one day, there was like a flash snowstorm. And at the same time, like all the cops disappeared. Like I didn't see a single cop car for like two hours. Because of that, the traffic was crazy. People were going through red lights, not stopping when the light turned red. It took me two hours to get from Park Slope to uh, Upper East Side, like 54th Street and, with my fare. And I there was actually two cop cars when we got uptown, but they were empty with their lights on in the median and no one was there. And I was just like, this feels like a stress test. Because it wasn't like there weren't very many cops. There was like not a single cop car, nobody at the lights. It wasn't even no like normally staffed. I was like, S -s -s I feel like uh, maybe I want to get out of New York for a while. On top of that, most of the friends that I had been working with, their visas had ended and they had gone back to Europe or gone back to Japan or gone wherever they were from. I think I want to ultimately go and, and do film and stuff in Europe and work with all these guys over there. I don't know how I'm going to make that happen. So initially I thought, let's let's just leave. Let's go do some traveling and sort of figure out where we want to land. So we went to South Africa for a little while. Um, and I think almost ran into you there. 
uh, without realizing it. Yeah, another weird, weird story is my wife and I were in Cape Town and you were coming in and we were staying in different areas so we weren't able to like connect. But yeah, that was like totally weird. You like texted me or like, are you in South Africa right now? And I was like, why, yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> so then we we came back left our apartment in New York, put all of our stuff in storage. And we said, okay, so let's go. It was like around Thanksgiving. I was like, let's go stay with my my parents. They have an extra room. Let's stay with them for like a month. I hadn't seen my parents consistently in probably five or six years. My mom was, her health was uh, suffering a little bit at the time. She's doing a lot better now. But I was like, let's stay with them. Let's see family for the holidays. And then we're going to go we had plans to go to Spain, Brazil, all of this in 2020, right? Like we had all these plans in 2020. COVID hit and we were stuck in Alabama for with my parents for three months. You know, we can't go internationally probably for at least a year. So let's travel to the, the U.S. We bought a, an RV and renovated the inside of it, made it look like a, a tiny home, gorgeous inside. My, my wife designed it. And then we took off in that, uh, just traveling. In the meantime, we thought, well, we've always thought about maybe having a kid, but we're always busy. The time is never right. Like, if we had a kid, then we wouldn't be able to do this other stuff. So it looks like the world is on pause for a year plus maybe. So let's just try. If it happens, fine. If it doesn't happen. So that happened like right away. <laughs> yeah. So then we were like, okay, we have to go somewhere where we're okay with the healthcare system. She wanted to do a home birth. So we started looking at places that are good with that, like that have infrastructure. And Texas was really good. Like they've been doing home births there for 20 years and the midwives all have a great relationship with the hospital. It's not antagonistic. Let's get a house. We don't want to have a baby in an RV. It's the first one. Like we're, you know, let's just try to sell this thing so we can rent a house for, for a year. Sold for a really good margin. Found out there's like a whole industry that renovates old RVs and sells them. We moved into that house and I wound up renovating another RV and we sold that to kind of make money on the side. Uh, had the kid, the world kind of opened up again finally got to go to Europe and see Teresa's family. While I was there, some opportunities opened up. Did you say where she's from? She's from the Czech Republic. If you talked to her, you wouldn't know that. And actually, when I met her, I thought she was from the UK because she had a little bit of a UK accent because she went to school there at university. But she just picks up accents. So we were living in Alabama. We got we got stuck there for three months. And by the end, she was she had like sort of this Alabama thing going on. And I was like, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, I just soak up accents. And then, you know, we, after we were in Texas, it went away, you know. Okay. So your plan is to move to the Czech Republic in April. Yeah, we want to start spending longer periods of time there. Teresa's pretty much done. It's just waiting game now. She's fulfilled all the requirements. Aaron is like our kid. He's already a dual citizen. It's much easier when you're born, like just file papers. Wait, when you say filling all the requirements, what does that mean? Oh, I mean, the the visa process, I mean, people think you just get married and then like you get a passport. If you're coming in on the marriage visa, the, the green card program, uh, they do it in two stages. So there's, um, there's the initial green card that they grant you, which is for two years. And if you're still married two years later, then you can apply for a 10-year ten, card. At that point, it removes the stipulations that you have to be married. But they figure you probably are going to stick it out, especially if you have a kid when you reapply that, you know, there's a huge line. So when you submit your initial application, you're you're going to I think we waited 15 months for the interview. And then the second one is about the same once like I guess what is it? it's like three and a half months from your from the date of your first application, you can actually apply for citizenship. So that's going to happen before well before uh, April. 
just to, so to clarify, so Teresa is trying to get U.S. citizenship before you go to Czech Republic. Yeah. So the idea is that we would all just be dual citizens. Um, it makes things simpler. So that's that's the next big sort of adventure. Unlike the U.S., the Czech Republic makes you learn the language, you know, which is which is fun. I, I like languages, so it'll be fun. But I'll have like a reading, some sort of a competency test that I'll have to pass. Well, here's my tip. I think it's called Czechia there. You know, they changed that. First, it was Czechoslovakia. And then after it was liberated, Slovakia and Czechia, I guess yeah, they separated. And then it was called Czech Republic for a long time. And then they've just changed it to Czechia. Uh, and actually, Teresa hates that. She's like, "Why, why? I've <laughs> called it Czech Republic for so long." I'm sh- I'm sure you'll learn in your and since you all you'll have to take like a test. I'm sure you'll learn why it's Czechia now. I'm sure there'll be like a civics. You know, I mean, you you do the same thing for U.S. They do a civics test or something. I don't know. I, I think it'll be great. It's like a new. The one pattern in in my life is that I've always been attracted to like learning different things, and that's kind of like led me led me along. So whether it was like wanting to learn about how to make coffee and what goes into that or figuring out how to get my degree from distance learning kind of thing or whatever, it's always been like, a, oh, I'm intrigued in that. Let's uh, let's see what that's about. I've loved following this sort of story of an actor filmmaker who's never really intended to be an actor filmmaker. <laughs> you say you have a couple gigs lined up. What is sort of maybe your next five year plan in Czech Republic, like what are you going to be doing for work, et cetera? There's great theater there. Uh, there's actually an American, uh, an English speaking theater company. What city are you moving to? Spending a good amount of time in Prague. That's the capital city. There's another large city called Brno, which is the second largest. But I mean, all the all the theater and like UK or American film companies are coming to the Czech Republic to film. It's going to be Prague based. That's where all that happens. The one other town that people know, there's a town in Czech Republic called uh, Karlovy Vary. I think if I, it would sound something more like Karlovy Vary if I was speaking it properly. It's an international film festival that they're famous for. And there's usually two or three really famous American actors who come over and host it with them. So this past year, Johnny Depp was there and um, uh, the British actor, Michael Caine. They, I guess they had shot films in the Czech Republic, so they screened their films there. People in the film industry know Carlo Vibari as well. It's a it's a spa town, but they've turned it into like a big, once a year, they have this big festival there, film festival. Because you had said your collaborators had moved to Europe. Are you your Lee Strasberg collaborators? Are you going to be able to work with them? Or are any of them in Czech Republic? <laughs> collaborators. Well, is, cl- is collaborators not the right word? Well, because we did that play... Um, <laughs> Definite Marie Chevalier, and it was during World War II, and there was all this collaborator. Oh, oh, oh. (laughs) It meant something. (laughs) Got it. Yep, yep. yep. Oh, by the way, just because I went to my website, the first name for that play was I Remember It Well. Yes, it was. Which I had forgotten. I had forgotten that it had a different title and then switched. I think for Off-Broadway, they had some problems with copywriting or something. It's the name of a song, and they were like, we're not using that. And it was a little little niche. Yeah, so I, I, I mean, I have friends all over there. I've got, you know, I've got a friend in Vienna. I've got a friend in in France who's doing really well. I've got a friend in in the Czech Republic who actually I I met long before I met Teresa. Actually, that's another weird story. He's got a theater there. They're doing a lot of, like a lot of American companies and UK companies are going to the Czech Republic to make films. They need English speakers, and because of my marital status, I I will have a working status almost right away. So it's not a problem. So my plan is to to do do as much acting as I can. And when I'm not doing that, um, work on sets, like behind the camera, I want to learn how the production is done there. And eventually I want to make make films in Europe. 
someday maybe I'll go back to New York, but, and the kind of films that I want to make, I think the, the climate in Europe is, is more welcoming for that right now. When you're acting, you'll be making money because they're going to pay you as an actor. Yeah. They, I mean, they pay their theater actors. So, so. And and then when you're, but when you're making your own films, will you be paying for those or funding those or not getting paid because you're making them? Or do you plan to also make money when you're making your own things? <laughs> yes. Well, yes. I mean, you can apply for grants. Each country has their own sort of department of cultural something or other, which is basically money for the arts. Austria will have one. The Czech Republic will have one. France will have one. They all have these kind of things. So it's just about learning how that works, learning how to apply for it, what kind of things they accept, going over there, just making friends, like meeting new people. I think it's going to be fun, a new adventure. And and, um, I could conceivably go over there and work on English speaking films that are coming through and do that for five years and get way further ahead than if I did the same thing in the U.S. Because they're English-speaking sets, you're already coming in at a higher tier if you speak English on the crew. We'll see. I I, I just want to learn how it works and shoot films in an old city that's beautiful and... And loves art. (laughs) Yeah. All the short films that you've done, you know, after Lee Strasberg and before you left New York, did you make any money on any of those? Or were those all sort of like short films just, you can confirm this for me, they never make money. Yeah. And it's always like, oh, we're going to do this in Springboard or we're going to do this in... Yeah. So to me, it sounds like you've always had a job that has brought you income and then you've done all the filming and acting all on the side. Is that true so far? So this would be the first time that I personally would actually be making money from, let's say, working on set or acting, which is is an interesting proposition to me. I don't think I'm I'm not going to be making a killing, you know, theater and you get paid, but it's not like um, my wife and I also have a online franchise that we've been working on for three years, three and a half years. That's really, really starting to take off. Uh, so she's going to that's going to be kind of her main project. And then I'll be doing the acting but she really loves it. She really fell in love with that. Um, okay, I just quick question about that. Which, when you say franchise, does this mean it's it's like a different company and you just franchised part of it, or it means it's you started it and you're going to franchise it? Yeah. So it's like a it's someone else owns the company. So you it's like think like McDonald's or Kentucky Fried Chicken or whatever. So they own it. You buy in it as a franchise. You set up your online shop. They are basically handling like the shipping, the customer support, the product. It's a proven business like McDonald's or something. And you're responsible for all the front facing stuff. So that's actually one of the things that's allowed us to travel as much as we have as well, um, because we can do it, do it from anywhere. So that's Nicole's one bugaboo with me working in theater and doing lighting. She can work remote if she needs. So she can travel at any moment. And I'm the one holding us back. So I will say the one thing when I was doing I had that like flurry for two years of doing like the theater and and the the short films and all that stuff. The one thing that didn't happen is I didn't travel anywhere. I didn't I didn't go anywhere because you can't. And and people assume it's the money. No. Uh, that's restricting you from traveling when you work in theater or film. And and that can be the the issue. But sure, it's the fact that you have to work on the project and you have to be there. And the way it is the money in the sense of you're going job to job to job because you got to make as much as you can. Yes. That's what's keeping you there. Is you, you know, yes. like oh, you only have three days between a project or no days. That is a problem. I got to work on that. Yeah. I mean, you if you're flexible and you're 
your travel dates anymore. You can travel so cheaply. And, and if you're flexible on where you're going, like, yeah, it, it's definitely because you actually have to be there. And I, I also with travel, because I think this is why younger people travel more than older than people. Partially, it's a mindset. Partially, it's there are a lot of reasons. But one of the things is like now people know they can just book it last minute. Yeah. Or, or they can find the less expensive time to go. And then this realization, I think that everybody needs to realize is that traveling internationally is really not that much more than traveling domestically. It's sometimes it's cheaper. Yeah. People think that. And it's like, no, no, no. You Well, first of all, Caribbean, if you're in the U.S. Oh, yeah. But even like going to your or another continent. Yeah. Like for us to get to Montana from New York is expensive and longer than to go to Europe. Yeah, probably. <laughs> That's the thing. Like once you start dealing with smaller, smaller airports domestically, then you're almost going to pay the same to go somewhere in Europe. Like if you're if you're flying from LAX to a big airport in New York, yeah, that's going to be cheap because it's two big airports. But like, but but also like if you're traveling domestically, you still have to buy a flight. You still have to buy a hotel or an Airbnb. Yes. You still have to buy your food. Yes. Are they exactly the same for international? I'm glad we had this chat yeah. <laughs> because somebody p- pointed that out to me a few years ago. Then I thought about it on. I was like, oh my gosh, they were completely right, and that totally switched our mindset, Nicole and I. It didn't, it didn't change anything about like how much we traveled. But it did change where we're, we travel to. You know, something else I think that that comes up for people. And my so my first big like international thing was was that trip to Marseille. And I remember I booked the flight, booked the Airbnb, and then I started telling people about it. And they were like, "Man, do you, have you seen the crime rates in Marseille? I just googled this. Are you going to be okay? Are you going to be safe?" I went there. It's not a problem. So then I I made some friends there, and we were out drinking pastis one night and talking. And I was like, "Hey." You guys come visit me in Brooklyn anytime. I'll put you up. We we got like a couch, whatever. And they were like, "Man, Brooklyn is dangerous." Have you seen the films? <laughs> People are getting shot all the time. I saw it from both ends. I was like, "We get so caught up in these narratives." The Marseillais that didn't want to come to Brooklyn and the the Brooklynite who was just scared to go to Marseille for the same reason. And if you just go there, it's like, "Nah, don't go to certain parts of town." undressed but <laughs> right but also but also like don't do anything that you wouldn't do in your own hometown precisely you wouldn't go walking alone at night in a dark alley in your own hometown right just don't do that wherever you're going yeah exactly <laughs> i just i that was that, one of the things that that kind of stuck with me from then on and kind of shifted the way that i thought at any time and then the same thing happened with with covid like so many times because Teresa has family in, in the Czech Republic. So you see some news or something or somebody says, oh, you're about this. It's so terrible. And you talk to somebody who's there and they're like, well, yeah, that's technically true, but it's OK. We're living. And you're like, ah, it's not so terrible. We lived by the hospitals and like, yes, ambulances going by all the day constantly, the refrigerator trucks constantly. But also it was bad everywhere in the world. Like everybody got COVID. So New York was on the news, but like no more than anywhere else. I just, I think it's, it's so easy. We can get like caught up in this negativity bias, just tying that back to like the career and stuff as well. Like the acting, it's like, you just never know until you do it. Like, should somebody go to film school or should they do this or should they do that? And I remember uh, watching an interview with Werner Herzog, who's a German documentarian, and he's actually made some films too. Uh, He's actually making them with big stars now. You, You can look on IMDb. He's got some upcoming stuff, but. Somebody asked him that question once, and he was like, you take your $100,000, you go tour Europe for two years, then you come back to me and you tell me what film you want to make and why, and then you go make the film. That's your film school. He was like, you you learn all the technical stuff when you're making it. You just go do it. Just do it. 
And I guess that's how I've always approached the acting or the filmmaking is like when it's been, it's most beautiful is when I'm the closest to that, when I'm just doing it, like just do it. People say to me, oh, you come and help us with the lighting because you know how to do it properly. You know how to light things. No, you're working on something. You need a blue light. Okay, go get a blue light. Like there's a billion blue lights. There's a billion places you could do it. You get like, there's so many factors that go into it. In the moment when you need a blue light, you get the blue light and that's what you do. (laughs) (laughs) And if you're on a big film set, you have all the resources and you've planned it out a little bit. But if you're on a small set, like you figure it out in the moment, like there's no difference really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I better wrap this up. But before we do, first off, just thank you for having this conversation because, and also talking with you, it's like, oh, you've had what I would call real jobs this whole time. Oh, right. (laughs) But I never once have thought of you anything other than actor and filmmaker and producer. Like, that's always what I've thought of you as. I almost look like at it as like um, character research in a way, not knowing what characters I'll play or work on. But like, it just makes whatever art I do is that much richer because I've worked on the construction site. I've worked in the as a barista. I've worked in the business office. I've answered phones when I didn't want to talk to these crazy people. I remember when I was in acting school, you could tell the kids who had lived life and who hadn't just by when they would just do a scene. You're like, this kid has no idea what he's, he's technically you can coach yourself through it and you can do things you haven't lived. But the more that you have lived, the more you understand, even if it's something you haven't specifically experienced, you can get there and you can understand it and you can you can sympathize. And that's all acting really is, is sympathizing with and being and being curious about the character. So that's how that's how I've always looked at it. It's like I'm just deepening my well of understanding of humans and how they think and live. All right. So before I let you go, where can people connect with you if they want to? I'm on LinkedIn, Micah Stinson. And I like that platform because it seems to be a little more like about business than some of the other social media platforms. But LinkedIn is good. And also you can just email me, um, Micah Stinson at meme.com. So anyone heading to the Czech Republic to produce a film, they should email you. Yes. Or, you know, anybody who wants to do a project, let's let's talk. Let's if it's a if it's a fun story, let's just figure out how we can do it. That's it for this week's episode. My takeaways are making money outside of art is a good way of life. Flipping RVs is a way to pay the bills, as is working at Starbucks, working for a rock climbing gym, or driving a vehicle. Also, go read the four hour work week. Even if it doesn't work for live event workers that can't work remotely, it will still get your head wrapped around efficient business practices. If you have suggestions for topics or guests on the show, email me at artisticfinancepodcast at gmail.com. I always want to know what topics listeners are interested in, and I do my best to make those happen. And now for this announcement, if you live near Las Vegas or if you will be attending the Live Design International Conference on November 20th, stop by at 11.30 a.m. Las Vegas time for a live and in-person episode of Artistic Finance. The topic is multiple streams of income, and my co-host will be our previous guest, L.A.-based lighting designer and production manager, Ebony Madry. And if you're not planning to go, why not plan a trip to Las Vegas right now? It's the weekend before Thanksgiving, and I can get free passes to anyone who wants to attend. Just email me at artisticfinancepodcast at gmail.com. And thank you, thank you, thank you to my patrons for financially supporting this show. Your support allows us to continue having these conversations and making them public, doing our little part for the arts community. To become a patron or see the perks available, 
visit patreon.com artisticfinance. And the final thing, if you will be in New York City this Thursday, that's three days away on October 14th, come see Flavors of Magic at the Russian Samovar in Hell's Kitchen. I'll be at the 7 p.m. show. Tickets are $50, include two drinks and parlor magic. For details or tickets, visit flavorsofmagic.com. That's it for today. Until next time, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. Make sure to subscribe. To access our show notes, transcripts, or resources, go to artisticfinance.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Artistic Finance. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.